0: Ever cooked bechamel sauce? Bechamel sauce is um, the—it's that creamy white sauce that is on the top of lasagnas or things like that. Um, If you cook bechamel sauce, you do it in a pot like this, and uh, like lots of things in cooking, like lots of things in life, um, once you know how to cook a bechamel sauce, once you kind of get the tricks and whatever, it's not hard. But the first time you cook a bechamel sauce is always terrible. Because you start cooking a bechamel by, um, uh, by melting down butter and by putting flour into the butter. Now, when you put the flour in the butter at first, it just sort of swims around. And then you're supposed to stir it, it says, for a while. But as you start stirring it, the flour starts to kind of clump up with the butter. And within a really short time, like only 30 seconds or a minute, all of a sudden your pot has just these sticky messy clumps of like flour swimming around in the bottom of it and you have this moment where you think I've got this all wrong. There's no way that this kind of sticky, clumpy, lumpy, horrible looking thing could turn into a creamy smooth bechamel sauce and as you add you then add milk and you're supposed to add the milk a little bit of a time, stirring as you do. And when you start to put in the first lot of milk, it looks even worse because <laughs> the milk's swimming around with these big lumps of flour kind of uh, in it. And, and you think there's no way this is going to turn into a bechamel. And then the most beautiful thing in the world happens because as you keep stirring the bechamel, those lumps of flour begin to break down in the milk. And uh, in a few minutes of love and magic and with a bit of seasoning, all of a sudden you've got this beautiful, smooth, (laughs) creamy bechamel sauce. I love to cook. (laughs) But life can be a lot like cooking a bechamel, can't it? Like as as in there's so many times in life where you start to do something and you get partway through and you think, I can't possibly be on the right track. Like, I must have messed this up. There's something wrong. There's no way that from this point here, we're going to end up at the finished result. There's no way that with the mess that I'm looking at now, I can get the desired result that I need. You think, I I can't be going in the right way. We're in the second week of a series that we're calling Best. uh, And we're asking ourselves how we can live our best lives in 2024. Because we said whether you're a New Year's resolution person or not, and some are and some aren't, and that's, that's all fine. Regardless of whether you're a New Year's resolution person or not, all of us go into a new year with the same thought. All of us want this year to be a good year. In fact, all of us want this year to be a great year. don't we? And we're really honest, all of us wish, we kind of have this hope that this year would be our best year yet. And of course the question is, well, how can we make this year Our best year. Is there any way you can make this year your best year, or is it all just luck? You know, is it just like I'm just going to do the year, and maybe some good things will happen, and maybe some bad things happen. I don't know. I'll get to the end, and I'll see what goes. Is there anything that we can do to make this year, to help make this year, at least to give ourselves a better chance of making this year our best year yet? You know, is there is there a book to read? Is there an app to download? Is there a video to watch? I mean, imagine if there was someone, if there was someone that had the answer, if there was someone out there who knew how to make this year the best year yet. We said last week that Jesus talked a lot about how to make life work. Jesus talked a lot about how to make life work well, really well the way he would say it was designed to be lived. Because Jesus talked to people just like us, he talked to people who had all sorts of worries and concerns about how life was going and, and and you know am I on the right track, and is this going well, and am I going to have enough over here, and are the kids going to be right over there and, and and the people in Jesus' time were no different to us, not in that sense at least and we read in in Matthew chapter six matthew's biography of the life of Jesus last week, where Jesus stands in front of a crowd and he says to them don't worry about your life Matthew 6 25 verse 27 he says can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life like have you ever met anyone who says I worry a lot and it's heaps better <laughs> you know living my best life I'm worrying myself into a great 2024 said no one ever right Instead, Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, and this is the the central message for this series. Jesus said instead, he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, meaning all the other stuff that you're stressing about. And all these things will be added to you as well, which is kind of Bible talk for saying. And all this other stuff will just find a way of working itself out if we will seek first his kingdom and His righteousness. We talked last week about centering our lives around God. We talked about the difference between a life that has God in it as one of many things or maybe as you know one of many important things, the difference between that and a life that has God absolutely at the center of it. Because when you realize that God is the center of not just your life, but the center of all life that god is literally the center of the universe all of a sudden you don't need to think about adding god into other parts of your life because he's already there all of a sudden you don't need to think about how do i how do i kind of get god into my school how do i how do i connect with god how does god come into my work how do i get god into my family because you realize that god's Already there. In fact, God was in those places before you were. And one of the things that came up in my small group as we were talking after the message last week, someone was saying how active and intentional the word "seek" is. Isn't it is interesting that that Jesus uses the word "seek"? Because "seek" isn't a casual word, is it? "Seek" is a really deliberate word. It's a really intentional word. Seek is an action word. And it's the word that Jesus uses. Jesus says we, we should seek his kingdom and his righteousness. But what does Jesus mean when he says kingdom and righteousness? Because <coughs> last week we sort of talked broadly about sort of seeking God first. But Jesus says we should seek his kingdom and his righteousness, they're not words that we use very much in everyday life. You know, we don't talk about kingdom. We don't talk about righteousness. You might have heard the words, but they're not, they're not kind of common words. What exactly is Jesus asking us to intentionally and actively seek? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I think—I I think you're going to be surprised by where this ends up. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's not talking about a place. And we've talked about this, uh, this before, but, but for Jesus, the kingdom of God was a way of seeing the world. It was a way of living in this world. Jesus says that, in fact, he came, his very purpose for coming to earth was to set up this kingdom, this way of living. Um, Uh, Mark says it when Mark wrote his biography, Mark chapter one, right at the beginning, sort of as soon as Jesus appears on the scene, Jesus went into Galilee, which is like the area that he lived, it would be like saying he went into Adelaide. Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, the kingdom of God is here now. Repent and believe the good news. It's, I've come to give you good news that the kingdom of God, this thing I'm calling the kingdom of God, is here now. I'm bringing it with me. The kingdom of God describes the world the way that God intended it to be. And Jesus spent a lot of his time talking about kingdom. He spent a lot of his time talking about the kingdom of God. In fact, in Matthew's gospel alone, the word kingdom appears 53 times. There's only 28 chapters in Matthew. So almost twice a chapter Jesus is using the word kingdom. He talks about it so often. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about is a world that is driven by love. The kingdom is a world where generosity and grace and kindness and patience and forgiveness are normal. They're the ways of doing things in the world the way Jesus sees it, in the kingdom that he has come to bring to earth. The kingdom of God is a world where people look out for others more than they look out for themselves the kingdom of God is a very different world than the world we live in I mean it sits sort of right alongside it it sits in amongst it but it's a very different way of living it's a very different way of seeing the world so when Jesus says seek his kingdom he's saying seek out the kingdom kind of world in this kind of world Actively look for it. Actively look for opportunities to create the kingdom world in this world. Actively look for opportunities to turn this world a little bit more into the world of the kingdom. Seek out opportunities at school to be kind. Seek out opportunities at work to be generous. Seek out opportunities in your family to forgive. Not once, not twice, in an ongoing way. Seek out opportunities with your friends to be gracious. Seek out opportunities in peak hour traffic to be patient. I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? But that's what it means to put God first. When someone says, I'm, you know, I'm going to seek him first, it's not just an idea. It, this is really practical. It affects the decisions that we make every day. We make hundreds of decisions like that every day. Seek out opportunities to make those decisions in a way that takes the values of the kingdom and makes them real in this world. That's what it means to seek out his kingdom. Jesus says, seek out his kingdom and seek out his righteousness. Now, righteousness is a big word that we don't use very much. The dictionary defines righteousness as behavior that is morally justifiable or right. In other words, righteousness is just doing the right thing. God is described Himself as righteous. In other words, He's always right. He always does the right thing. He's never in the wrong, He never cheats. He never lies, he's always right. A quick search of the Bible, over 75 times in the Bible, the writers of the Bible describe God as righteous. It's one of the key ways that people throughout history have seen God. You know, in a world where like who's telling the truth, you know, what is what is the truth, who's right, who's in the wrong? God is always seen as right. He is consistent and he is stable in his truth and in his rightness. And Jesus says we should be seeking his righteousness. Righteousness is who God is. Righteousness also describes how God behaves. And he's saying we should aim for that same level of righteousness In our lives. We say in this church that followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And so in that sense, we should seek to be righteous the way that Jesus is. Now, a slight aside here. We live in a world that says that you should do what's right. As long as it doesn't interfere with you doing what you want to do. You should definitely do what's right, as long as it doesn't cost you too much, as long as it doesn't put you out. That's kind of the way it goes, isn't it? And so we live in a world, and we do this, we all do this, we live in a world full of excuses as to why we're not doing the right thing, don't we? I don't cheat. Well, that thing, that wasn't really cheating, was it? I'm not a rude person, I'm polite. But sometimes when someone pushes in front of you in the line, you you just have to say something, don't you? But I'm not a rude person. I don't drive angry. Unless someone does, you know, sometimes you just got to tell someone, don't you? you just got to let them know. I don't lie. But, you know, sometimes my parents or my boss, they're just so unfair. And you just kinda of gotta to, to, to make things fair, don't you? Do you get the gist? Like we all it's just so easy, isn't it, in our world to make excuses to explain why well I'm usually I'm usually righteous, but but there are times. Let me be clear, we don't seek righteousness so that God will love us anymore. That's a common sort of misperception that people have about Christians is that we try and do the right thing so that God will stand up there and say, well, well done. That's a tick for you because you did the right thing. It's a tick for you because you did the right thing. God doesn't love us because we do the right thing. God loves us because we're his, because he created us. That's it jesus came to die on a cross to deal with our sin our mess to deal with all the wrong things that we've done all the wrong things that we are doing all the wrong things that we will do jesus died on a cross so that we can be made right with god not by what we do but the bible says by faith in other words just by believing in him that's the basic message of christianity We're not trying to make God love us by doing all the right things. Paul explains it like this. He writes a letter to one of the early churches who were all mixed up about this. And he tries to explain it really kind of logically to them. He says, Romans 3 verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. In other words, he's saying there's a way to be right with God. There's a way to be to be all good with God that has nothing to do with obeying the law. Right? There's a new way to be good with God that has nothing to do with how you act. Verse 22, this righteousness, this new righteousness he's talking about, this righteousness is given, given to us through faith, believing, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, this righteousness is available to everyone who would just believe in him. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. It's a long phrase that it means kind of through what happened on the cross. right? That's why the cross is so important in the Christian faith, because that's the moment where Jesus becomes the sacrifice. It's what he means by the shedding of the blood. God presents Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. In other words, you get to have that not because of what you've done just by believing in him. He did this, that's God, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. So the order of things is really important here. We don't seek the righteousness of God so that God will love us. We seek the righteousness of God because he's already loved us. Does that make sense? Sounds like it, but it's really, really important. Jesus has already made us right with God, as in you're all good with God. Not because of anything you've done, but because of something Jesus did. So when Jesus is saying, seek his righteousness, he's not saying, try and make God love you. He's saying, God's already loved you. Now live a life that would seek to be like him and do right the way that he always does right. <coughs> Jesus says the path to your best life is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. That The, the path, to, path to living your best life in 2024 is to live God's way in this world seeking to do the right things by God, that's seeking his righteousness, and seeking to bring God's love into the world, that's seeking his kingdom. Now, we all know, you don't need me to tell you this, that the world around us tells us that the way for you to live your best life is to focus on you, which makes total sense, doesn't it? You focus on your plans You focus on making your dreams a reality. You focus on on getting your desires met. That's the path to your best life, right? You do what's right for you. You work to make the world the way that you want it to be. Jesus says the path to your best life is to revolve your life, not around you, but around god remember last week we talked about recognizing that that god is the center of the center of the universe the way that the sun is the center of our little universe when jesus says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness he's saying recognize that god and not you is the center of the universe and do what's right for god not what's right for you Focus your life on trying to do right the way that God defines right, not right the way that you define right, because we all have our own version of right, right? (laughs) Work to make the world the way that God wants it to be, his kingdom, not the way that you want it to be, not your idea of the way that the kingdom should look. But this whole thing's a bit like making bechamel sauce, right? Because that looks like it's not going to work, doesn't it? When you say it like that, that looks like kind of getting halfway through and looking at the lumps and thinking, this isn't going to work. What if I really focus on others, if I really focus on God's way and not my way, that looks like a pile of lumps. That's never going to turn out into a smooth, creamy 2024 for me. How can the best thing for me be to focus not on me? What looks wrong can actually be right. What looks like losing can actually be winning. This is the way that the kingdom, this is the upside down way that the kingdom of God works. Jesus would say it in other places by saying things like, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. Matthew 16, 25. Matthew also remembers, Matthew 19, 30. Jesus saying, many who are first will be last. Some of you heard that. Many who are last will be first. He's saying if you want to live your best life in 2024, seek his kingdom and his righteousness first every day at school at uni at work in our families wherever you are whatever you're doing seek to do the right thing by God seeking his righteousness seeking to transform the world into a world that's based on love and on the kingdom values those those sorts of things that are that are true of the world the way that God wants it to be joy, peace, patience, generosity, forgiveness, kindness, grace. That's what it means to seek His kingdom. As I said before, we make, all of us, we make hundreds of choices every day. You ever think about the number of choices that you make every day? I'm not talking about the big choices like do I go here, do I go there, but what am I going to say to the attendant at the checkout? How am I going to drive? What am I going to say to the people at work? How am I going to react when I get home after a hard day? Will I seek my way? Will I seek to do things in a way that benefits me and is good for me or will I seek God's way will I look to make those choices in a way that is seeking his kingdom that is right by God not right by me Jesus says the path to your best life is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and he's saying it'll, it'll probably look wrong it'll probably look lumpy along the way <coughs> And others will look over your shoulder like they will if you're making a bechamel. They'll look over your shoulder and they'll look in a pan and say, you've got that wrong. That is not going to turn out okay. But Jesus' opinion is clear. This is the path to making your best life. To recognize God as the center of your universe and then to seek his righteousness. To seek to do right by God the way that he defines right and to seek his kingdom to seek to seek to be part of transforming this world into being the world the way that God wants it to be through love and grace and kindness and generosity and goodness and forgiveness you want to live your best life in 2024? You want this year to be your best year yet? Jesus is laying out the path to get there as clearly as he can here in Matthew 6. He's saying the path is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness.